been a crazy year. One that none of us would have ever been able to predict. There's no way. But if there is one word that describes what Christmas is all about, it's three simple letters. J-O-Y. Joy. So how can we say that in the middle of what this craziness has been? Well, when you look at the life of Jesus, it was crazy then too. And times have been crazy since, and times will continue to be crazy until the Lord returns. But we can still have joy. Several of our favorite Christmas carols mention it. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? When you stop and look at the Christmas event that has taken place, it is summarized in these three simple letters, joy. But where does it come from? Luke chapter 2 starts to address this. Listen and see if you can discover the answer. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good, no- good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Theologian and professor William Willimon said, Christmas is a delightful disruption of the way things normally go. A delightful disruption. I like that phrase because I think it catches uh, the heart of Luke chapter 2. One moment you're tending the sheep in the middle of the night, and the next you're scared out of your wits by an angelic choir. And I don't know how delightful that would be, but it's surely a disruption. That's what 2020 has been marked by. Disruption upon disruption upon disruption. The angel comes with good news of great joy. That's for a few people. All people. Not some people, not a certain class of people, not a certain color skin of people, not a certain language of people, but he comes for all people. What is this good news? Luke chapter 2, verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. If you're looking for Christmas joy, I suggest you can find it all in that one verse. You can find it all in that one verse. I I want us to look at four aspects today regarding the coming of Christ, which I think lead to joy and all packed within this one verse. First of all, just consider with me the prophecy of His coming. Notice this simple phrase, born this day in the city of David. The city of David is not Jerusalem. It's actually Bethlehem, which is about five miles south of Jerusalem. And today, Bethlehem is is an Arab town under Palestinian control. But when Jesus was born, it was this tiny little Jewish community of no significance at all. 
modern-day Bethlehem, it's just, it's busy, it's bustling, it's full of, of people who are visiting. Thousands of people come each year to walk the narrow streets. The majority of the industry in Bethlehem is tourism. People saying, I want to see where Jesus was born. And there in the middle of the city is the Church of the Holy Nativity, right there in the middle of the city where people say, I can see where Jesus was born. But it looks nothing like it did back then. But I walked on the streets where Jesus walked. I was there in the area where Jesus was born. It's one of the oldest churches in the Holy Land. It was built 1,700 years ago to hold the place where Jesus was born, to keep it as a memory. It's been added to, and it's been restored through centuries to keep it uh, up to date. Today, when you visit Bethlehem, you have a hard time envisioning what it was like when Jesus was born because there's so many stores and shops and people and things that are taking place. In 1867, a Boston pastor by the name of Philip Brooks visited the Holy Lands at Christmas time. Upon his return, he wrote the Christmas carols, which was set to the music by the choir director for the Christmas concert the next year. We still sing it today. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. He wrote that 130 years ago when he visited Bethlehem because it was still a tiny little peaceful village. But times have changed in the last 130 years. Bethlehem is called the city of David because that's where David grew up, along with his father Jesse, and then several of his brothers. In fact, David tended sheep in the fields outside that village, just as the shepherds were doing that night when they appeared to him. And here is why I think the prophecy is quite amazing. 700 years earlier, the Lord had spoken through the prophet Micah and declared that the Messiah would be born in where? Bethlehem. Look at the text in Micah 5. But you, Bethlehem, Ypres, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Notice the phrase, though you are small among the clans of Judah. That prophecy came from the Lord 700 B.C. Bethlehem was this tiny, insequential non-important village. And no one would have named it the top 10 vacation spots to go to. Nobody would have said, hey, that's where the party's going to happen. For sure nobody would have said, hey, that's where the Savior of the world's going to come. If you went there, you would find a few small houses. And that's probably about it. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was still off the beaten track, so to speak. However, all the Jews knew that the Messiah would be born there. So how do you know that? Well, in Matthew chapter 2, it tells us when the Magi came to Herod in in Jerusalem, they asked, where is he who is king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. That's a good question. Where is the Messiah to be born? Herod gathered his theology council together and asked them the same question, and they replied by quoting Micah 5, verse 2 and verse 4. We see it in Matthew 2, verse 6. says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. That's what I mean by the fact that all the Jews knew. God had told them some 700 years earlier, exactly 
where Christ would be born. In other words, there was, there was no secret about it. it. It wasn't a hidden thing. It, it's amazing to me to think that even though the Magi have suddenly showed up in Jerusalem, and even though the theologians knew where the baby was to be born, and even though Bethlehem was just five miles outside of Jerusalem, as far as we know, not one of them cared enough to investigate for themselves. They were totally indifferent to the birth of the Messiah. They, they missed the most important event in world history because they couldn't be bothered. I wonder about the world we live in today. Are we missing the most important event in history because we don't want to be bothered? Or because we're too busy? Or because it's become what Christmas has become with all the decorations and all the presents and all the shopping that we forget that we're dealing with the most important event ever? How different the shepherds are. As good news, as good Jews, they too must have known the prophecy in Micah. They knew something about what was going on. When the shepherds hear the glad tidings that Christ has come, they respond by saying, hey, let's get up, let's go to Bethlehem. We got to move. We got to we got to go on a trip. The theologians knew the truth, but they didn't act on it. The shepherds knew very little, but what they knew, they believed, and immediately they acted upon it. They didn't sit around and go, "Well, this is what we've heard. This is what kind of no. Let's stop and think about. It. Let's stop and debate it." They said, "No, this is what we know. Let's move." So when they when they when we read City of David, we should remember that Jesus was born in a fulfillment of a prophecy that was done seven hundred years earlier. Prophecy, in my mind, is one of the reasons we as believers in Christ can say, yes, this what we believe in Jesus, this Christianity, it's real. And I'm just talking about one prophecy right now. There's hundreds that have come true. It should also remind us that knowledge alone is never enough to save us. Let me just say, if you're here with us today, whether it's in live or you're on, on uh, Facebook with us, just knowing about Christ does not save us. See, it's not what you know, but what you do with what you know that makes the difference. And if you know that Jesus has been born and you know that he's Savior, then there's a decision that all of us have to make while we're here on earth. Let me discuss another aspect with you. The reality of his coming. Look at the text again, Luke 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Just focus on those three words. Born this day. They speak to the fact that what happened in Bethlehem was nothing less than the birth of a baby named Jesus Christ. There's two realities I want us to discuss today. Two truths. First is that there were no miracles associated with the physical birth of Jesus. Now, even though we speak of the virgin birth of Christ, it's important to, re to realize that the real miracle is what happened nine months earlier. The, the, the way that she became pregnant as the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary, and the result is that a virgin becomes pregnant. That's the miracle. That, that was the enormous miracle. Never has it been repeated again in history. But that's the miracle. However, from point of Mary's side, the pregnancy ah, is pretty normal. As a human pregnancy would go, leading to that night in Bethlehem when she gave birth to the Lord in a stable. 
And although Luke gives us very few, if no details, we may safely assume, as far as we know, the delivery went okay. And Jesus is born, at least as normal as can be in such trying circumstances. I mean, from time to time, we hear of some crazy circumstances. A, a lady who gives a birth in the back of a car on the way to the hospital, or, or someone who maybe is at the store and went into emergency labor and they deliver at the store. That's, that's a, a frightening situation. That's something different. Such instances are, are sometimes what would be no, normal births, but extraordinary circumstances. That's where Jesus' birth falls at. A normal birth under extraordinary circumstances because who would want to be having their baby in a manger? Nobody. But of course, we know the story and there's no room in the end. So a normal birth, but in a kind of a weird, odd situation. The second important fact to remember is that this day means it really happened. It really happened. There are some who say, well, that didn't really happen. There's no way it really happened. Francis Schaeffer used to talk about what he called lower story truth and upper story truth. Lower story truth are stories and accounts of things that actually take place. There are facts. There's, there's fiction about There's truth about it. By contrast, upper story truth refers to the fables, stories like uh, the fables of Aesop, where everybody knows the story and they know it has a spiritual truth that it leans to. But many people today read Luke 2 kind of like an upper story truth where Schaefer would say, no, that's a lower story truth. See, some say it's simply too much fantasy to believe. And so they say, well, this is a theological fiction. Like you can't possibly believe in a, in a lady getting pregnant and, and not ever having an intimate relationship with a man. That's just not possible. They call that theological fiction. Some of you may have heard years ago about the Jesus Seminar. It blows my mind to think about the Jesus Seminar and all things that they went through and all the, the Scripture truths that they went through, and they had a vote, and these, these theological uh, men and women would gather, and they would say, okay, we've studied all the different texts, and which one's real and which one's not real, which was maybe a fable, and which one actually took place, and they had color pebbles in their hands, and they would vote on different situations of the Bible and say, yes, that actually happened, or no, that was just a story to tell the truth. And when it comes to the virgin birth, the vote was 24 to 1 against the biblical account of the virgin birth. See, voting with multicolored pebbles, these pundits declared that Mary must have had an intimate relationship with either Joseph or someone, known, someone unknown before she became pregnant. They also decreed that the visit of the wise men was a fabrication and the slaughter of innocence, a, a, a fiction, and the flight of the holy fa family of Egypt was an uh, allegory drawn from Moses' story in Exodus. And they went through and picked apart the Bible, and that has since influenced our culture on, is the Bible real, is it not real? Because of 25 people who thought they could vote and determine what is or what isn't. I mention that because the Christian church Believers in Christ has always professed the belief in the literal truth of the virgin birth, that it really happened. The, the ancient creeds put it this way, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the virgin Mary. This is one truth that has always been believed by Christians everywhere. To use Francis Chaffer's term, this is lower story truth. Truth because it really did happen. So when we read, unto you this day in the city of David is born, let us remember that this is true. That we're not crazy, even though we're in the year 2020 and things feel crazy. 
we're not crazy because we believe in a virgin birth. We believe in the truth of Scripture. It's not a legend or a myth or a nicely told fairy tale. Everything about this story is true, including the central truth that there really was a baby who was born in Bethlehem who was the Son of God. And when you believe that truth and you live in that truth, that brings joy. So we have a prophecy given 700 years before. We have a a day when he was born, which leads us to the result of his coming. Look at verse 2 again, or chapter 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Here's an interesting fact that comes from the Greek text of Luke 2, and I'm by no means a Greek scholar, but just some little research, you can find this information out. When Luke wrote this account, he didn't use articles to describe who Jesus is. It would actually read this way. It would actually read Savior, Christ, and Lord. All three of those words used in the text. Each word's vitally important because Savior is actually an Old Testament um, term that means one who is sent to deliver his people. So when you read that, you read, he was sent to deliver his people. But then the Lord refers to the term deity or God. So who was sent to deliver his people? It was God who was sent to deliver his people. And Christ is a Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the anointed one. We have all three right there in this text. We desperately need a Savior, don't we? Praise God for having a Savior. Praise God and thank you for the joy that comes when you realize there's no way for me to get to heaven on my own and God has provided the way. See, when the angel announced the birth of Jesus to Joseph, he said, give him the name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He came so you and I could be saved. And that's a question that all of us have to wrestle with while we're here on this earth. Am I saved? Have I given my life to Christ? Have have you accepted the free gift of salvation? Not only that, but he came to be our Lord and our ruler of the universe. But we must answer the question, am I saved? Have I accepted that gift? And today he's the Lord of heaven. And if if you are saved, then you have to answer the question, am I letting him be my Lord? See, between now and then, we Christians are called to make him Lord of our lives on a daily basis. When you say, I believe in Jesus, when you say, I believe in the virgin birth, I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, then you say, I put my life underneath him in faith, then you're saying, you're Lord, you're in charge. That means I surrender my will to his will. I let him be in charge. Here's a great prayer I've heard many times, and I've shared it before in sermons. Maybe you want to write it down, or maybe you want to screenshot this if you're on with us live on Facebook today. Maybe we should start praying something like this more often. Heavenly Father, you're in charge of everything that will happen in my life today. The good and the bad, the positive and the negative, please make me thankful for everything that happens to me today. Amen. I believe that many times we lack in joy because we want to be in charge. We lack in joy because we don't surrender to His will. We lack in joy because we struggle to pray to say the good and the bad, the positive and the negative. I think we should be praying those kinds of words and say, Lord, you're in charge, and so I'll walk in this world in joy because you're my Savior. You're my Lord, and I can trust in you. See, that prayer works because it's based on the truth of Jesus Christ and who He is. He is Savior. He is Lord. He's Christ. Call this resolve is coming in a sense Maybe that's not entirely accurate. 
He's Savior, Lord, and Christ even without His coming. But if He had never come, we would have never known it. And the truth of Jesus would forever have been hidden from us. And so that is the real heart of Christmas is that God loved us enough to send us His only Son. That should bring joy. Think of it this way. He didn't send a committee. That should get an amen. He didn't send a committee because committees know how to mess everything up. He didn't write a book. Thank goodness. He didn't write a blog. He didn't create a website. He didn't send a substitute. When God said, I'm going to save the world, he came himself and sent came as the one and only Son, sent His Son, Jesus. See, in sending Jesus, He's sending Himself. And this is a stupendous truth of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us, or we said last week that He fights for us, should fill us with joy. All this is about His purpose, which leads me to one last aspect that I want us to grab on today before we get out of this place and before we turn off Facebook and before we go into this race of Christmas week, the purpose of His coming. Our text contains one final truth. For unto you is born this day a city of David, a Savior which has been, been born. Now, pause for a moment and consider who is He speaking to? And who is being addressed? You see, when the shepherds heard these words from the angel, they must have been flabbergasted. We tend to overlook the fact that the shepherds were near the bottom of the social order of ancient Israel. I would say probably not even near the bottom. They were, they were at the bottom. I mean, they were often the poor and, and uneducated, and some were quite young. Not very many people would pick the shepherd uh, on the on their job career preference form, going, sign me up, I want to be a shepherd. Not anybody was going to college saying, hey, I want to become a shepherd. There were many easier ways to make a living in ancient Israel. Pastor Doug Gones paints a vivid picture of how shepherds were viewed in that day. He writes and says the Judean shepherds were the lowest of the lowly, socially common men and despised class with a bad reputation. Shepherds were known as thieves because they were nomadic. And as they moved their sheep around the country, sometimes they got confused about what was mine and what was thine. They were all tarred with the same brush, untrustworthy, dishonest. They were not allowed to give testimony in a Jewish court of law. Their work made it impossible for them to observe the Jewish ceremonial laws and temple rituals, so they were considered religiously unclean and unacceptable. It's pretty amazing to think this heavenly invasion came to such a social outcast. So when the angel says, to you is born, he's really saying Christ came for the lowly of the lowly. Uh, But what about those theologians in Jerusalem Who knew? Didn't he care for them? Yeah, he came for them too, but they never knew about it. When Christ came, his birth was first announced among the outsiders, amongst the lowest class citizens. They were the first ones to hear the good news of Christmas. I think there's a great lesson for all of us. See, the Lord came for the forgotten people of the earth, and most of the time they're the ones who receive him with the greatest joy. And what happens is I think our wealth, our our American wealth gets in the way. Because many times those who are rich and those who have a lot start to ignore Jesus or forget about Jesus. 
And many times the poor are so welcome, and that's why he says welcome is honored guest. Let, let, let me make a simple application. The angel said, for unto you is born this day the city of David, a Savior. Unto, unto you. Who's he writing to? He's writing to, to unto you. He came for you. Hear me in this. Don't miss this. Don't walk through this week without grasping that great truth. So many times I think we can forget it. So many times I think we can just go on about our Christmas rat race season that He came for you. Many times we think, well, He came for him or came for her, but there's no way He can possibly love me. There's no way He came for me because, preacher, if you knew my past, you knew what I've done, you knew how much I've messed up, you knew this, you knew that, there's no way He would have came for me. Listen, if He came to the lowliest of the lowly in the culture of shepherds, He's telling us He's came for us no matter what point of life we're in. He's came for you. Millions of people say that they are still lost in their sins. It's not enough just to say that Christ came for someone else. He came for you. You can never be saved until you say, Christ came for me. You can never be saved until you come to the point to say, He died for me. He rose for me. He took care of my sin until you make it personal. He came for you. The question is, do we really believe that? Do we really hold on to that truth and live that way? In just a few days, Christmas will be here. Families will gather. If you haven't already started gathering, hopefully you're being careful about those gatherings, whatever careful looks like for you in your home, right? Already some children are counting down the hours or they're counting down the days until that moment when Christmas arrives and you receive the gift and you open up those gifts and you tear in those packages. And, you know, I've never had someone hand me a gift and I just set it off to the side and go, ah, someday I'll maybe open that. 2,000 years ago, God sent a gift wrapped up in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and he said, this gift is for you. What are we doing with that gift? What are we doing? I, I think there's two choices we, we make a choice of. First of all, you make the choice, I open that gift by receiving Jesus as my Savior. The second choice is I let Him be Lord of my life. And when I open that gift and let Him be my Savior and I let Him be Lord of my life, what happens is we experience abundant joy. And the angel says to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. That gift, Jesus, for all people. And what is the source of that joy? For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Joy to the world. The Lord has come for you. Let's pray. Father God.